Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's guest is Dan Brookman, serial entrepreneur and CEO of tech superstars Airship and Toggle. Coming up on today's show... Dan demonstrates what you have to face if you want to be known as tenacious. The police were chuckling at me. Yeah, they thought it was hilarious. The planners thought it was hilarious. You know, the papers thought it was hilarious. Phil goes on the offensive. Dan, you're a nutter. Stop what you're doing immediately. And Phil and Dan show that they might be the solution to some bigger problems. Solving some problems today. Yeah, very good. Love it. We should, be, <laughs> we should have been up at COP. All that and so much more as Dan talks us through his story and journey to date. Dan's story really is all action from start to finish, with him starting an entrepreneurial business at a very young age and seeing opportunity as it came his way. His journey is a wonderful example of what you can achieve with tenacity, adaptability and a creative mind. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, nearly 100 episodes in, we make our first foray into the world of tech, and I can't actually believe I'm saying that, but anyway, we welcome the CEO of not one, but two tech-focused businesses within hospitality, that being Toggle and Airship, platforms used industry-wide from casual dining to hotels and everything in between. I am, of course, talking about the fabulous Dan Brookman. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. I'm really, really well. It's Friday. It's not raining. Yeah. It's a bit chilly. Uh, I cycled into my office in Sheffield this morning and warmed up and uh, yeah, ready ready to crack on with the day. That's a good good way to start the day. Get the juices flowing before you get into your creative space. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, the, the, the nights are drawing in. I think that's the word or the yep. phrase. Yep. Bloody miserable. Um, yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not my favourite time of year. Truthfully, I I suffer a little bit with the seasonal adjustment disorder. So I have one of those big bright lights that just throws some uh, vitamin D at me um, as I stare into it in the morning uh, for twenty minutes. Um, I, really? Yeah I, I, yeah, I struggle with it a little bit. Yeah. Right. Do you know yeah. what? That that's it's funny you say. It. Well, it's not funny, but the um, it's strange that you say that because yesterday I had a conversation with somebody who said exactly the same thing, and until they brought it up. I had never even known that it was a thing. Yeah, I think people, I think that it's one of those things that's actually just got a name now that didn't usually have a name. Uh, and people right. just used to think, fuck, I'm really tired. I'm really, you know, a little bit down and a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit tired. Yeah. Uh, you have to excuse me. We are a dog friendly office. That was a dog oh. barking in the background. If you could That is that. absolutely 100% fine by me. I'm a dog person. So yeah, listeners will just have to accept it. <laughs> I mentioned at the head there that you, you're the CEO of, of two companies, certainly from the outside looking in. We'll come on to all of that in due course. But actually, what I'd like to do first is kind of just go all the way back into the, the beginning of your, your kind of life and career. And how did you get into hospitality in the first place? Yeah. So I, when I was 16, I was working in a pub as a glass collector. Um, it was a pub in Sheffield called the West End. All my mates used to go in there drinking and I used to work in there as a glass collector and my brother's mates who were a bit older than me worked behind the bar and it was just near our school. And that was my first foray really. And then when I turned 18, I worked behind the bar there for an, a number of years. And I used to work in a a place called the Broomhill Tavern, and I did some work for Tetley's uh, at outdoor events, uh, doing some serving for those guys. Um, right. And then um, I I was working for Next at the same time, selling ladies' wear, uh, which is still of course you be- were the best job I've ever had, uh, <laughs> truthfully. Um, but I was working for Next between about sixteen and twenty-one, and. I didn't go to university and I, I did some college uh, retaking my GCSEs because I failed all but one of my GCSEs. And uh, right. my parents were determined that I wasn't academically challenged, but it turns out that I am academically challenged. So right. I was working and then at 22, I had a house, which I was renting out to people. And uh, I was having a game of tennis with a couple of mates at a local school in near Hillsborough in Sheffield. And they said, oh, the Hillsborough Baths, the old Hillsborough swimming pool is up for sale. Somebody should buy it and turn it into a pub. 
And I thought that that was a great idea. And because I had a house, I also had a credit card. And I went down to the Hillsborough Baths and looked at the number on the front of it and rang this number up and said, how much is it? And they said, it's 120 grand. Um, And I said, okay, how do I buy it? And they said, well, you need to pay us a 5% deposit. And I did on a credit card. Uh, So so at at 22, I bought a a massive pile of Victorian bricks and tiles, which was derelict. My life. In Hillsborough and Sheffield. I tell you what, though, at 22 years old, I mean, is that the, obviously you didn't have the fear that may come with failure or or whatever, which is usually the thing that gets in the way of people kind of taking perceived risk, as it were. But do you think that you always had this kind of entrepreneurial kind of spirit? Because... I mean, to do that at 22 years old, it's that's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I definitely had. I mean, at 17, I wrote a board game uh, for the launch of the Super Tram in Sheffield. Um, I was reasonably entrepreneurial prior to that. My parents had a furniture manufacturing business. They used to uh, make kitchens uh, for farmers. Right. And uh, uh, it was near our house up uh, uh, on the outskirts of Sheffield. And on the weekend, I used to go up there and make things out of wood and you know, and then when my parents were going to the agricultural shows with their trailers selling their kitchens, I'd be there selling the stuff that I'd made out of wood. And it was, we, we lived quite a hand to mouth sort of existence in our uh, childhood, my, myself, my brothers, my parents, it was, uh, uh, my parents would just start their business and we lived through their pain of them growing their own business through the highs, the lows, the recessions, the interest rates, the bad payers, yeah. the you know, employee problems, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I think that yeah. that, yeah, just desensitized me to fear. Right. And because it, it could have gone the other way as well, I suppose. You could have looked at it and gone, God, I'm never doing that. Yeah, I think that I, because I just, I didn't have a, um, I didn't have a, I'd not been to university. I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to do. I think I just knew I wanted to work for myself. So, you know, I just, the Hillsborough Bass, I can't even remember back at the time, I remember it being really quick. They said it's up for sale. I went down to the building. I think originally I was in business with those guys uh, who are still my best mates. Um, and they dropped out. They were both in careers uh, working for banks and, you know, they've been to university. Um, and it looked like, yeah, it, the the whole thing looked like it was a bit, a bit nuts, truthfully. I'm a mm. 22-year-old guy. I'm basically opening a... Uh, live music venue in probably one of the roughest parts of Sheffield. There'd not been any new licenses in Sheffield for 20 years. The police were chuckling at me. Yeah, they thought it was (laughs) hilarious. The planners thought it was hilarious. You know, the papers thought it was hilarious. But yeah, once I've got the bit between my teeth, truthfully, I I rarely let go. So it's one of those things that you've got, now you've just, well, you're in, and failure is kind of not an option. Yeah, not an option. Yeah. So I, I, I put my deposit down and then I went for change of use. And bear in mind here that my parents were designers. You know, they were, we had drawing boards at home. We had an office with three or four designers in it. My brother's a designer still. Yeah. And I was, I, I'd done some work for him as a draftsman. So I could actually take the plans off the council of this swimming pool and I could sit at home at a drawing board and actually map out what I thought it was going to look like. And they right. helped me. Yeah, you know, I got a lot of help from my parents. Great that they're actually, they, they were actually hugely supportive, it sounds like, as well then. It wasn't a case of, Dan, you're a nutter. Stop what you're doing immediately. Yeah, no, they, they we didn't have that sort of relationship that they could have said that to me. Right, okay. Uh, uh, truthfully, uh, I left home at 16. I'd bought a house when I was 17. Right. By the time I was 22, I was quite not disengage this my mum are uh, my mum is Anne and my dad is Terry I've called them Anne and Terry since I was about 10 years old uh, because right, okay. uh, because working together when we used to go to the showgrounds to Burley Horse Trials or Chatsworth selling kitchens they thought it was more professional if we called them Anne and Terry rather right. than mum and dad around people and and that sort of stuck truthfully so yeah they supported me in what I wanted to do whether it was humoring me or whether they thought I would <laughs> succeed, I don't know. Uh, but they did support me. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we we got to like um, a, a year in, basically, and I'd done the change of use. I'd been to court. 
I'd got the license. It took two days. I was up against the diocese in Sheffield. So the diocese uh, had a house behind us, uh, the vicarage behind us, and they basically went against me head on. Um, so where I was doing collecting uh, a petition and getting people's names on there to support it, they were doing exactly the same thing. And they were spinning up lies about me being a nightclub. And I said, no, I'm a live music venue. And it all got really messy in the end. And there was public right. hearings and there was TV cameras. And I remember being in a working men's club and I was sat with the local Labour councillor, Helen Jackson, on one side and the Lib Dems on the other. Um, and they were supporting me. Uh, because I was, I was, I was talking quite with quite a lot of ambition about building something for the community. With a, you know, and I meant it. We did do tea dances in the day. Uh, yeah. We did host community groups. We did take the biggest building in the centre of Hillsborough, which was a completely rundown area, and breathe new life into it. So I had a passion about me. Uh, but I did this. I remember doing this public speaking and uh, being at the front of this big hall loads of people there and calendar tv were there the local tv company and uh, i said i'm gonna you know i'm gonna build a live music venue we're gonna bring people into hillsborough we're gonna bring students into hillsborough and some guy standing up at the back going you bring fucking students down here i'll rip their heads off <laughs> charming <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a lot of fun so it wasn't wasn't uh, well received by everyone. Then. No, no, not at all. I mean, this was a. It's quite a. You know, it's sort of. It's the sort of place where. Uh, and I do love Hillsborough. You know, it's it's like the. You know, the people there are pretty amazing. You grow up in a terraced house. You marry the girl or the guy across the road. You move in next door, and you've got these streets which are sort of dominated by families. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, and it's that sort of community about it. So. Um, it's a little bit nuts, truthfully. Um, and, you know, there's quite a lot of violence. And y y I learned a lot in a really short period of time. I bet, yeah. Uh, but the, at the end of the 12-month period, I would hadn't managed to raise the half million. So I'd just run up loads and loads of credit card debt. You know, I'd burnt through God knows how much money getting my license and building scale models and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I put so much time into it. And my house, I turned a room into my house, into my office, and I got this scale model and all the pictures on the walls. And uh, this kid turned up to rent a room off me, and he was Irish, uh, and he's come over from his from Belfast to do his final year of law, or Ballymena, to his final year of law, and he turned up in a Golf GTI. And uh, like tall, wiry, specky kid, and he, he basically said, oh, you know, uh, what's this? And I said, oh, it's a, I've been trying to open this pub uh, uh, this live music venue and I bought this swimming pool and he was like, oh, it's, it looks amazing. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but I've got to, I'm going to give the keys back next week because I, I can't raise the money. And I've been to the banks and the breweries and everybody in between. And he said, oh, you show it me. And we jumped in his car and went down and I unlocked this padlock and he walked in and he was just swearing and swearing and swearing. He was like, how much are you going to do? And I was like, I said, we're projecting 600K first year and 800 second and a million pound third year, you know, and went through the numbers with him. And he said, mm. this is incredible. And he kept saying, it's incredible. It's incredible. About After about 15 minutes, he said, I'm going to get you the money. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it, like, I met him about two hours before. He said, yeah. I'm going to get you the money. And I was like, okay 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 and he, he we got back and he got on the phone and uh, a week later or a, about four days later his dad and his brothers came over and it turned out that his family owned the largest catering business in ireland and they owned about 40 pubs and most of ballymena right um, and they they got me the money they guaranteed a mortgage with the bank of ireland and about three weeks after that um, we'd extended the period with the owners of the property and uh, half a million pound landed in my account, and I got on with opening a pub. And you went off to Brazil. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, off to Brazil. Yeah. Well, that's that's brilliant, though. I mean, the the I mean, thank goodness for people like you because that's you know you've you've had a vision for something that nobody else has had a vision for. Okay, you've you've put yourself into you know quite a, a, a treacherous position financially, but also then you know as luck would have it somebody comes along at the right time and, and you're able to kind of get that last piece of the jigsaw to, to make it a reality. But actually, you know, these, the importance of these regeneration projects cannot be underestimated, I think. 
No, I completely agree. I mean, I completely agree. Yeah, Daniel Davis and New Brighton. I mean, jeez, that guy, he's taken a whole town um, and he's slowly working his way through it and revitalizing it. It's so important. And, you know, I've heard people talk about placemakers before and it's weird. I'm sat in an urban splash building. So we bought offices in this brutalist block of flats that overlook Sheffield called Park Hill. And it's, uh, it's incredible. The space is incredible. And, uh, Mm. you know, it's, it's so important that people breathe life into old buildings and try and change areas really. Yeah. And, and critically there, you know, getting the support, I suppose, of local council as well. But at the end of the day, why would they not want to turn something that's rotting into something that's got life? Yeah, absolutely. I think that their main fear at the time was all around me just selling out and it becoming a nightclub or, you know, yeah. just becoming another drinking hole. And, um, you know, we were true to our word. It was quite good. It cost a lot of money. You know, the weekends, thankfully, were rammed of full of drinkers. And then in the week, it allowed us to do live music and to put on our tea dances and to do community stuff. And, yeah. you know, and it, it, it was, it was great. It's great fun. Yeah. So how long did you have that? So I had it for seven years. And um, right. yeah, I, I, so I worked it for seven years. And in that time, about after about year three, I bought my partner out, uh, bought John out of the business. And I brought in another partner, a local landlord who I'd worked for to give me a hand and also to grow. So we opened another venue in the, we opened a venue in Chesterfield. So uh, the Cause Brewers got in touch and said, we've got a location for you and we'll help you out with it. Do you want it? And we opened a second venue called Bar Rocket in Chesterfield. And it was a little spirits bar, 200 capacity. And it was, right. a, it was truthfully, it was a fucking nightmare. It was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Um, we'd misread it completely. And we thought that uh, the people of Chesterfield would welcome something a little bit more premium. Um, and I remember we overspent on the fit out of it. We didn't have controls in place. We pulled a manager out of a posh cocktail bar in Birmingham and overpaid them. Right. We'd just not done a good job of it. And after about nine months, we we sold it on and we lost probably about three or four hundred thousand pounds, you know, and it was one of those lessons that and I wasn't very good at learning lessons, truthfully. You know, I was a bit all over the place. And we then took a Enterprise Inns lease in Sheffield City Centre and opened the art room which was a really nice sort of piano bar come lunch venue and struggled in the evenings, but was great in the day. And that was all right. And it ticked over, but it was an old building and enterprises wouldn't put money into it. Uh, it's a bit, a bit of a typical story, really. So every time we were painting a wall or changing something around, we were doing it at there. We were just improving their property and they wouldn't help. Mm. And at the same time, I, I opened up some, um, I did a record label and bought some rehearsal rooms and set up a music producer in a room because I was in love with live music. And I set right. up a couple of ringtones and graphics companies and a little web agency. I bought a ton of domain names. And I was like, I ended up moving into like an office on my own on a, like in a business park. And I was just running this crazy, crazy empire from it. <laughs> Uh, and it was a bit, you know, it was a bit out of control. My accountants used to come in every week and just go, Jesus, like just <laughs> shoeboxes of cash moving around. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, where, what era are we in now? This is sort of early yeah, so we 2000s. Were to, yeah, 2003 was when I fire sold. So I, I turned 30 and I couldn't spin the plates any longer. And I'd got problems in Hillsborough at the deep end, which was the name of the swimming pool. And right. I would had my eye off the ball and the, I'd got problems with door staff and people had started going into town, actually. So people, even though it's only about four miles to the city centre, to Sheffield, um, it had always been quite a community there. But then people actually on Saturday night started getting on the tram and going into town. And it was a big, a big change that because, oh, oh, actually, you know, now we're, we're going to have to work harder to try and keep people in, yeah. um, in and around. But I, I'd run out of steam. I'd got picked up some really bad habits and I'd turned 30 and it was all crumbling around me. Uh, in a quite horrific manner. Um, so in a very short period, about six months, I I fire sold the companies and the last business that I'd invested in was called Powertext. And that is what Airship is today. Really? Yeah. Wow. 
So in 2003, we set up a company called PowerText, and it was a, a, a bulk text message provider for nightclubs. And my door team worked at Gatecrasher for Simon Rain. So we used to finish at the deep end, and a massive entourage of us would go down to Gatecrasher, dance the night away. And I, I got to know Simon Rain and uh, Rob Master, who's my CTO here now. He came to me and said, oh, have you ever used text messaging? And he was working for Promise up in Newcastle and uh, Poonanar and people. And we set up a company. I just chucked 25 grand in and said, let's set up a company. And he'd got the name PowerText already. And we created a basically bought loads of computers and plugged SIM chips in the back of them. And we did bulk text messaging for um, every promoter in the land, every nightclub operator, all sorts of different people. Mm. And we uh, we set out on a journey uh, to be a tech business. We didn't really know what we were, but that's what we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and that, I, I'm not... I'm not just going to use that the rest is history thing because we've uh, we've got a lot more to cover yet. But I, I find that really quite cool that that's kind of that is almost a full circle yep. type uh, situation. That's um... it, it was it's 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 strange when you're young and you've got that energy and you, you you're pretty indestructible. And although you, emotionally, you know, I can remember it being really. I mean, it was so stressful. I can't feel. You, I can't even imagine some of the stories I could tell you about that time between the well, age feel free. of 20, feel free. <laughs> 22 <laughs> to 30, you know, even before the deep end opened, the Sheffield licensees insisted I got experience. So I did my BII and became a landlord. Enterprise inns were, were really kind to me and they gave me a pub in Sheffield called the Bellevue. This is while I'm building the deep end. And they put right. me in there as a landlord on 20 pound a week, uh, 20 pound rent a week. So it had been shut and it was in, again, a bit of a rough part of Sheffield. But I worked in there for seven months and I took out the snooker table. And I may as well have had an affair with like, every bloke's wife in the village, you know. Um, <laughs> I took out the snooker table that had been in this pub for a hundred years or something. as my first act and put tables and chairs. Not a popular in. decision then. Not a popular decision. But the pub did really well. But yeah, I mean, I remember being about three months in and Friday night and my decorator, and I live around the corner from it, strangely, and uh, my decorator had come in and done loads of work. So, oh, it's my daughter's birthday and her auntie's birthday. Can they come in and have a joint party? So I said, yeah, yeah, come on, let's do it. Let's have a, you know, a party. And we made a bit of a dance area and I got a DJ in and some lights and they turned up with buffets of food and then about 100 people piled in and everything was great and you know it was just a great atmosphere and there was a guy that had been coming in pretty much from when I'd reopened this pub called Alan and Alan's a cage fighter so you right. know he's a bare he's a bare knuckle fighter and he that used to sit useful the, to have on your side absolutely and he used to sit at the end of the bar every day and regale stories of stuff that had happened to him and you know he'd have three or four pints and then he'd, he'd wander off uh, but he was always sat on the bar and it got to 11 o'clock 10 to 11 i rang the bell and the guy came over the decorator came over and said come on dan we're having a great time it's great come on let's just have another hour and obviously all the pubs in the area did afterbird you know it's just a thing you shut the curtains you shut the front doors you open yep. the back door and you carry on so i'm like of course we can. Of course we can. Let's let's just, yeah, it's great. Everyone's having fun. I've had a couple of pints. It's great. So we carry on. Um, it gets to 12 o'clock and I ring the bell again and he's like, come on, it's brilliant. Let's let's just carry on another hour, another hour. And I'm just seeing this money mount up in the till. You know, the till's probably never seen so much cash, truthfully. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, go on then. We'll, we'll have another hour. And uh, it got to about half past 12. And you know when there's a problem, when there's a silence, you know. <laughs> When everything goes quiet, you need to worry, basically. Yeah. And yeah, everything yeah. went everything went quiet. And the room sort of parted like a wave. And these this family split into two each side of the room. And then the daughter just ran, just saw a run across the room and headbutt her auntie. Like proper My headbutt. life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the, it was like it was like two Scottish clans coming together <laughs> in this massive fight. And they just. But this is all family members. Yeah, yeah, all family members. And they literally, <laughs> like something had been said. 
and they literally came together in the biggest scrap you've ever seen. And it was like one of those cowboy films with them hitting, hitting each other with chairs and sausage rolls and volivants and cake and stuff being thrown and some like <laughs> old grannies in the corner cackling away and chucking like sandwiches in as, as the rest of the family fought. <laughs> and they fought for about 20 minutes, which in a fight is a really long time. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. of the time, I'm, I'm coming out. And I think that the greatest thing about being a landlord and still something, and I was out with a mate last week and he said, I can't believe, because I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fighter, you know, I'm not hard. I'm like, I, I, it's not, it's not me at all. But when yeah. you run into a fight and shout landlord, landlord and push people apart, and it's something we were taught when we did the BII thing that you need to assert that you're the landlord because people have this respect. Like kids have respect for teachers. We all have yeah. a respect for the people have a respect for landlords, especially because they want to drink in that pub, you know? So yeah. anyway, shouting landlord, landlord. And I, I broke it up and, push people out the front door and the police had been called at this point and the police were there and asking to come in and I was like you can't you're not coming in it's fine we've got a handle on it and then Alan the cage fighter you know got like a bloody sausage roll or something at him on his forehead and he oh, was like God. off his stool like a shot and me shouting no 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 running towards him and him just literally uh piling into somebody but yeah, we cleared we cleared them all out, and uh, there was a somebody broke the shoulder, and there was a few. I got smacked in the eye in the end by a lady as I pushed her through the door. Right, the police. I, I sat at the end of the night, and I sat on this settle uh, in a bay window, and uh, like head in hands, and the police stood in front of me, and the lights on, and the food everywhere, and the place just smashed to pieces. And these three policemen were like. <laughs> giggling and just going like you're in so much trouble and like one's like did you do you not know who that family is i'm like i have no idea who they are it's my decorator and they're like you're just an idiot you know and the licensing police called me in the next day he said well you'll not do that again will you and it's like they they honestly they just wanted me to they knew i was going to screw it up and they knew i was going to learn a really valuable lesson and they said Mm -hmm. if you do that when you open your pub in hillsborough We'll take your license off you and it'll be over. Right. Um, and lesson learned. But uh, they're cold yeah. words, aren't they? And uh, they are. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they and have it, that power as well. Absolutely. But it was, um, there was a, you know, there was so many instances over that period with the, with the police and with individuals, which, you know, a, a little bit terrifying, truthfully, you know, football fans and, you know, running battles outside with Sheffield Wednesday idiots and other teams, you know, the, right. the that yeah. idiot faction that they have, these football teams, and they used to have, you know, I remember the, there was a snooker club up the road from me and the uh, a Burnley, I think it was, broke into the snooker club and they got nicked all the snooker balls. And then when the fan tram oh, came God. past with the Wednesday fans on, they just jumped out and pelted it with snooker balls. I mean, it's oh, like, geez. you know, it, it's just terrifying, really. But yeah. anyway, anyway yeah. on the whole, it was a great, great it was all good fun. It, there was, it was fast paced. We burnt money. We made money. We burnt money, you know, um, mm. uh, and we were, we were quite advanced with our tech. It's worth pointing out. And we also had, I'm a marketeer and I built this board game and designed this board game and um, I designed this uh, company called Spot as well, which was about sales promotion on target. It was, and it was about mailing things through people's doors, which was relevant to their community. Anyway, so I, I, I did this deep ender card, which was like a loyalty card, but um, it got me around a licensing issue around membership because the licensing said I couldn't discount. So I created a membership and then I could do discounts to members in the same way as a working right. club runs. Clever. Yep. And I'd, I'd sold it for £20 each. Uh, and I'd sold about 2,000 of them. And what I did, I went around all the local shops and businesses and I said, if you want to put this sticker in your window, and it was a picture of the D-Pen card in somebody's hand. Um, I said, then if you want to do a discount for my customers, I'll tell my customers when I write to them, literally on paper and pen. When I printed a letter and sent it in the post, I'd put, oh, you've got a discount at the barber's or at the clothes shop or at the charity, wherever. Um, yeah. And it built quite a bit of community, but I had nowhere to put the data. Right. So when the kid approached me uh, to start PowerText, we hired a computer scientist from Sheffield University uh, to build the platform. 
and we first loaded it with the Deepender data. Then we started text messaging my customers. So we were quite tech advanced as a business. We had an amazing website because we did entertainment. So bands on Tuesday night, it was Can You Jam? And it was, uh, you know, why play with other people when you, why play with yourself when you can play with other people? And we put, we had this massive stage, the back room held 300 people and the stage was like 10 meters wide, uh, 10 meters long, two meters wide. And we put, we filled it with musical instruments um, and we invited people down to jam with musicians and we record it and we put it on our website and then we'd have bands on and we'd put snippets of the bands on and we did a quiz night, an interactive quiz night called uh Dave Van Key's Big Night Out, uh, which was like rubber chickens and stage props and stuff. Um, <laughs> and we'd record that as well. So we were quite tech advanced anyway. Yeah. 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 So you're, are you kind of now reaching the end of your operator life I am. at this point in time? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm turning, I, I locked the doors on the art room. I'd already sold the deep end, locked the doors on the art room. I walked down the road and I unlocked the doors on the new office, which was for PowerText, uh, with about yeah. three members of staff, including Rob. Um, and we, we started our um, PowerText journey. And and the first three years of that was, it was a bit intense because basically we were really early SaaS business. You know, we were about bulk messaging of people. This was before MailChimp. It was before loads of other platforms out there. And we were plugged, you know, we'd win a customer, plug in a SIM chip, wire it up to a server, and then they'd be able to log in, upload a list of mobile numbers and send out a bulk text message. And we did it for two or 300 businesses and it was museums and hairdressers and all sorts of things, but we didn't make any money and we were just losing money uh, hand over fist. And my, I didn't have any small detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have any money left. I'd lost all of my money. I lost my house and my cars and my girlfriend. Crikey. Oh yeah. I'd I'd completely burnt uh, everything uh, at that point. I was starting again. Start, yeah, start. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we'd uh, brought in some non-execs, and they'd helped us get some funding, and we got some funding, and they told us to specialize. So we we specialized, um, and we got rid of all of our customers, and we kept the ones that were actually generating us some cash, and we started generating cash. Um, and we were working for people like Paul Kinsey at Nexum Leisure, working for Simon Rain at Gate Crasher, and working for the guys at God's Kitchen and Ministry and at Promise, and all the nightclub operators, Aaron Meller at Tokyo Industries was and is still a customer you know and yeah we just worked in the nightclub world and university world and we did text tv and we did text to jump the queue and we did premium rate text messaging as well and also text broadcast and we got then to 2007 2008 and the smartphone arrived and also 2009 the recession and when the smartphone arrived, it killed SMS, um, but it, it then brought email back in. And we'd already built email into our platform. And mm. um, by this point, we're working for people like Miles Duran and Barracuda Group. So we'd got a good few hundred locations under our belts. And we were we then lost Barracuda. They went bust. They went to Banwell House and then they went into administration. We lost them as a customer. And that was, again, it was another one of those lessons, which is uh, we, unfortunately we didn't lo- uh, learn from it, but we, you know, they were about 52% of our revenue at the time. And then nightclubs and the smoking ban and all of those changes just changed the industry and the sector completely. Yeah. And at that point, we we sort of pivoted again and became an agency. And I'm, a, a as I say, a born marketeer. So I'd just be doing the creative and the content and the plans would be we got into Facebook and we were, you know, before Facebook pages, it was just profiles. And then Facebook yeah. released pages. I don't know if you remember that. And I do, yes. All of a sudden, then people had 5,000 friends on a profile called the brand name, and they had to migrate them to their Facebook page. Otherwise, they'd lose them all. So we we ran campaigns to help people migrate, and then we did lots of tutorials, and we'd go into JW Lee's and speak to the managers about how to get the most out of Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, we were, yeah. we were just across the industry working for loads and loads of companies, but really broadly, you know, we always had this tech, uh, but we were really broadly working for them. And, you know, we, we started doing content and creative and websites, and we still had power techs running. Uh, we then rebranded that into Airship. Uh, as we're yep. doing less and less text messaging uh, in about 2012. Um, and we just ran as an agency pretty much through to sort of 2018. 
and we had people in the business doing lots and lots of uh, project work and we were selling hours. And I'm, I'm the commercial director. Rob was the MD uh, at that point. And, uh, you know, we'd sort of been running as a lifestyle business, I, I guess you could say. Yeah. So uh, that's one, one arm of what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. What, uh, how did Toggle come about? Yeah. So 2018, we are uh, an agency. We've got Airship. It's a tech platform. Within Airship, there's a feedback platform called Feedback Desk. There's an inquiry platform called Inquiry Desk. There's a gift card platform called Airship Gifting. And then, uh, and they're all working off the same tech stack. And we built Airship Gifting for Jeremy and Tim at Living Ventures Restaurants. Uh, we rolled it out to Brewhouse and Kitchen and Red's True Barbecue and a couple of other operators. I think we had eight customers on it. But I'd always had this thing about gifting, you know, that actually pre-visit revenue was something that was going to be a thing for hospitality and that it didn't need to be a preserve of Pizza Express or Ask or ZZ. You know, yeah. everybody could do it, basically. And it was going to be sold by technology. So in 2018, Airship, as an agency, employed about 35 people. And our biggest customer was Conviviality PLC. And we used to manage the data for Bargain Booze uh, across their 600 stores. Right. Um, one of our other customers was a well-known late-night group that's still a customer today um, with about 70 locations. But we had a team that was designing email and designing content for both of those uh, businesses. And it was about 65% of our revenue. And in a period of about four weeks, Conviviality PLC went bust, unraveled spectacularly uh, from being an absolute darling of the industry at what, about 1.6 million billion turnover. They unraveled because somebody put a zero somewhere incorrectly on a spreadsheet um, and the other customer um, they pulled their budget so they kept their data with us and their email marketing provision with us uh, with airship uh, but they pulled their budget um, so rob stepped down as md uh, and uh, to take some time off and i stepped in uh, as ceo and my first act was to let 70 percent of our staff go basically oh, God. and make them redundant and because we'd been running as a lifestyle business we were broke we didn't have you know when, when you're running as a lifestyle business generally you don't really have cash reserves because you're kind of drawing it out of the business and also you're employing people to do your job and yeah. it's a little bit more hand to mouth it's hard to build something that can scale you win a customer you employ somebody you win a customer you employ somebody um, yeah. you're just you running lose a customer a, yeah yeah you lose a customer someone. you then yeah. like right you've got to fill a gap really quickly or you start losing cash yeah um it's it's a tough gig you know um yeah. so i wrote it on a post-it note and chucked it on the wall and just said we're never gonna sell another hour ever again and we'd already been talking about turning ourselves into more of a SaaS play and um, we just accelerated that so we were looked at the product world within hospitality technology and um, we still decided that gifting we thought was the way forward so we built toggle and we released it we released it in october 2018 um, and we migrated our eight original customers over to the new platform and i wrote a business plan and we went and won funding um, in 2019 october 2019 we got funding from the northern powerhouse investment fund and truthfully, Phil, without HMRC, we would have been bust in 2018. Wow. But we owned our own building. We had a mortgage on it, but there was some equity in it. So HMRC had a little bit of comfort. They were our main debt uh, once we'd gone through the redundancy payments and got our overheads right the way down. Yeah. Um, and they just used to come see me every uh, month and I had an amazing bookkeeper, Claire Spicer, who uh, supported me as well. And a very emotional time, truthfully, because you, you're you sprinting. And I remember being in London in 2000 and early 2019, and I literally, like, no money. Like, the company had no money. We were down at our overdraft limit, and I had no access to money. I remember ringing Claire up and saying, you need to chase somebody and get them to pay us because I need to get across town. I need to get on a tube, you know? And My God! Yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't think people who haven't worked for themselves, and you'll know this, that you you live so close to the bone, and when things disappear, you know 
it's it's an incredibly it's it can be incredibly tough, especially. I'm, I'm, I'll always gamble on my business. You know, I'll always be like business first, personal life second, really. Right. Uh, it's just how I am. Right. Or, yeah. And it's probably wrong. Truthfully, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. It's really stressful. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we won Leon and we won Davies and we started winning customers and I'd simplified our proposition and I just went back out to hospitality and said, Airship used to be really complicated. It's really now simple. We're a data company. We understand recency and frequency of visit. We're fixed price. We won't, you know, we won't punish people for doing well. And toggles mm. just about generating pre-visit revenue. And it's fixed price. And you can do a million pound through me. And I'll just charge you per location. And we came to market with something that was very fair. And it, it, it seems to have really paid off. We also got our funding in from Mercia, who is Northern Powerhouse Investment Fund. Um, and they're distributing money for the British Business Bank because we're based in Sheffield uh, so we can employ people. And then the pandemic has been very good for us. Really? I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't, you know, we got our money in October 2019. We were burning our way through it. And when March came 2020, um, our burn rate was really high and we still had a buffer, but I wasn't going to be beaten by a pandemic. So I went to LinkedIn and said to LinkedIn, to my network, if anybody wants toggle, crack on, we'll not charge anything until the doors reopen. And loads right. of people just signed up with us, like loads and loads and loads of brands signed up with us. And we were, I didn't furlough my team. Uh, we were really agile. We built lots of functionality into the platform. And um, and, and the platform's just not looked back. We, we, we've just met the demand and we've been ultra supportive and we've, we've ripped up lots of invoices and we've given the platform away for free and it's just grown and grown we've added in retail to it we've added in pay it forward we've put lots of tools into the platform we've integrated new partners and we're we've grown about 400 percent in the year Brilliant. on toggle and airship again people were still using us we weren't like a wi-fi or a table booking system that couldn't be used uh, everybody could still use our platforms but we didn't charge uh, didn't con continue to charge 100%. And again, we simplified. We've run some really cool campaigns. We did this Comeback Strong campaign in uh, early 2021, which was a real success. We signed up 100 customers through it. And we've expanded our team. So we've we've doubled the team we were now. Um, I raised another half a million pounds from Northern Powerhouse, uh, which I plugged in a couple of months ago. And we're just continuing to grow at, at really about uh, a customer a day. Uh, signs up. Wow. With us. I think four customers signed up with us yesterday. So about 60 or 70 locations yesterday um, on Fantastic. both platforms. That, that's that's brilliant as well. And it sounds like you've now got, I suppose, a, a, a model which is far more manageable slash scalable slash controllable than, than perhaps it was before. Yeah, it's just about the tech. It's just about building functionality into the tech that makes operators' lives easier. Uh, yeah. It gives them better customer engagement, gives them more revenue, gives that customer a better experience. And the beauty of Toggle, you know, we've just got launched with a hotel company in uh, New Zealand uh, via Tavalis. Uh, so Tavalis are a partner, Zonal are a partner, Access are a partner, and Comtrex and Polaris and Wireless Social and Feed It Back and loads and loads of tech companies integrate with either Airship or Toggle. And we get on well with them. And we're agnostic and, you know, it's about the customer. And when it's about the customer, um, because for hospitality operators, it's about their teams and it's about their customers. That's their business. Um, yeah. and, and that's what we're supporting. Yeah. No, bravo. I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it, it's a wonderful success story in the face of uh, a time which the world has been in a place of adversity, really. Yeah. And I um, no, I salute you, and I wish you all the very best for the uh, for the next phase. It sounds like you've got uh, an exciting period ahead of you. I've got an I've got an incredible team, is what I have, Phil, uh, and yeah. uh, they have. Uh, we feed each other, and uh, you know, when the pandemic struck, and when Boris announced Track and Trace, you know, we were the first to market with a Track and Trace product built on as a module of Airship that rolled out in the end in five days. Um, wow. We built it and it ended up rolling out to 13,000 locations worldwide, of which about 12,000 were in the UK, um, yeah. Weatherspoons, Pratt, Costa. And I couldn't have done that without the team, you know, 
yeah, yeah, it's been it's been uh, mental. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a great way of summing up most people's lives in the last six months. Yeah, yeah, for sure, especially with, within hospitality. It sounds like your journey is very much one of you didn't uh, anticipate that you would go into the the tech space, no. but opportunity kind of presented itself to you, and, and and you find yourself where you are now. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. Truthfully, I think one thing led to another, and you know, I did try in my twenties. You know, I recorded some bands. You know, we produced some music. We published some books. You know, we did the ringtones and graphics. I had a crack at selling domain names. We opened some venues. I served some food. I served some beers and cocktails. And yeah. I think that it was about at the end of that when I when I was burnt uh, and a little bit broken. It was like what's left, and the thing that was left was the technology. And I think that that's the thing that I thought. Right, okay, this is this is what I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you clearly landed in in a space that suits you for sure. Yeah. Not not bad for somebody who's uh, academically challenged. <laughs> but yeah, this is the, it's one thing I love about your journey, though, is is that you definitely don't have a a, a kind of background and a, a plan, as it were, that conforms to the system per se. And I use that in inverted commas. You know, you have literally you've kind of lived life in front of you. What's in front of me right now? There's an opportunity. Let's let's give it a crack and look where you are now. It's quite. It's a it's a wonderful journey. Yeah, I, it is. It is, and I've been very very lucky. And I think that you know, if for anybody listening to this that's sort of starting out or even that's that's stumbling a little bit, they've just got to speak to people. You've just got to speak to people around you. You yeah. know, because what's changed I think in 25 years uh, of me you know I've now worked for myself for about 30 years I think as sort of self-employed running businesses is the support network nowadays is absolutely mental I mean it's like people want to help you you know it used to be that people would cheer failure in the early days and not in a nasty way it was just you know, it, it was just, oh, yeah, oh, they always had ideas above the station. You know, it was always yeah. like they were always, well, I don't know what you were playing at. It was always going to fail, you know, whereas now it's like, oh, actually, I think I know somebody who might be able to help you or have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And I think that I think that as a as humans, we're just more broadly supportive of each other than we used to be. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And actually, that kind of plays nicely into the fact that you've now, you now find yourself, you mentor people, as I understand it. You've gotten yourself into the to the world of business mentoring. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I've done it for 10 years now. And I do it for Sheffield Council and Sheffield Universities and a, 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 an amazing organization called the Wasco Brown Foundation here in Sheffield. But also recently in the last year for Plan B um, as well. Uh, with Holly and Anne and Emma. And I think that mentoring, I think <laughs> I've made so many mistakes, Phil. Like, yeah. I, honestly, I mean, you couldn't count them. And if you just sit down with somebody for an hour who's starting a business or thinking about a business or in a business or who's the manager in a business and listen to them and then just give them a little bit of your experience, of your knowledge for them to think yeah. about and to reflect on you can save people a lot of time, money and grief. Oh God, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, but you know, mistakes and failure are part of the journey, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter how much you plan stuff comes along and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's how you handle these moments rather than sort of, I suppose, planning for failure. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. It is. Uh, yeah. And look, I think that the pandemic, it was very emotional to start with. There was no rule book for it. There was nothing written down. There was nothing. We couldn't turn to a YouTube video that says how to handle your business <laughs> yeah. in a pandemic. It was pretty much every man for themselves, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that we've all learned a little bit more. And I think that there's some learnings from the pandemic, especially around people mm -hmm. uh, that we, you know, and culture and about work-life balance and some things that we've learned that you know, that we need to carry forward, definitely, yeah. you know, especially around our teams. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's been the biggest win of uh, all of this is this kind of just an introspection moment of, you know, looking at how we were doing things and what were we doing to the people around us and actually were we getting it all right? No, 
so let's fix the things that we weren't getting right. And that's, you know, like any change that takes some time to to change hearts and minds. But I, I think, you know, we are going to be better off on the back of this. Yeah, It's just this sort of, this time at this point in time where it's the, the change is now and it's here and it's happening that uh, that it can feel tough yeah no absolutely i i definitely think uh, employers need to lean into it and i think that those that do as well that build on their culture around this and embrace it as a way forward the millennials and the the generation a you know it it will be it's their future you know <laughs> Yeah, it's their future, and and uh, when I sit down and interview eighteen, nineteen year olds, and we've got some kickstarters in this business, and we're getting another two in the next couple of weeks, it's they're interviewing you. <laughs> You're not interviewing them. Yeah. They're going, you know, tell me about your company. What how, what you what can you do for me? And yeah, there's a bit of learning there that needs to go on for them, which is actually they need to. We're about making profit, and you know, business is about profit as well as about growth and as well as about culture and employing people and customers and all mm. of that and advancing tech, but it needs to make money. Uh, yep. So need, it, you know, there is a, there is a trade off here uh, uh, with people that if you do provide a lifestyle, if you do provide a balance and if you do provide an amazing culture and a, an opportunity to grow personally, then there needs to be a trade off that people also then provide back the effort the ambition the passion uh, in equal measure uh, totally uh, you, you've hit the nail on the head there uh, i think that you know it's it's just a mutual respect and mutually beneficial arrangement that's the way that it that it should be that the uh, the individual helps the company get to where it needs to go and the company helps the individual get to where they want to go exactly um, exactly it's not one. difficult, is it? It's not. It's not. It's well, not. I mean, it is, but yep. <laughs> the, the principle is not difficult. Nope. The, um, but the execution can be tricky. Yeah. But you know, I think that there are a lot more companies, a lot more people who are very much more focused on this now, and that's the way it should be. And you know, and and the the, the fact of the matter is, the more good people we have at the helms of good businesses that are making good profit, the more good can be done in the world you know that's just a, a simple knock-on effect of of everything coming together and, and working together yeah yeah agreed solving some problems today yeah very good love it we should, be, <laughs> we should have been up at cop <laughs> indeed yeah absolutely one final thing before i let you get on your merry way uh just because i'd laugh, i looked at this and it, it made me chuckle yeah uh, you're a chicken wing enthusiast <laughs> I, I love a chicken wing. Um, that's although I should probably update that really because I've been trying not to eat meat between Monday and Friday. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I love a chicken wing. I love a wing shack, a wing stopper, anything. Every time I see it on the menu, I just enjoy eating them. You know, I don't know. There's yeah. something very good about them. Go to uh, Yard and Coop in Manchester try their chicken wings it's insane oh, very good so you're the uh, chicken wing aficionado <laughs> yeah. been yeah. been there done that all across the uk yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> brilliant no look it's been um it's been fabulous to to finally get this time with you if people want to reach out to you learn more about what your company's doing how they could uh, benefit from it etc what's the best method for them to to reach out to you uh, drop me an email i'm just dan at airship.co.uk excellent as simple as that simple as and that. um yeah well thank you very very much for for coming on the the show it's been a, an absolute pleasure to chat what a cracking journey you've got thanks and um yeah the big lessons are just be comfortable with making mistakes yeah perseverance you just got to crack on yeah brilliant thanks thanks so much dan really appreciate it thank you take care cheers, you. cheers. bye bye and there we have it. What a high energy story from Dan proving that anything is possible with an action orientated mind and off the charts tenacity. I wish him and his teams continued success. We'll be back next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality, but until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.